Well, do you know, let's uh, dive straight in, shall we? Or would you prefer to hold back a bit? What do you think? Dive. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. Going to read from verses 5 through to 18, which is a massive, huge, great chunk. So bear with me. Actually, it's not that bad. Okay. Heading is teaching about prayer and fasting. Say yay! Yay. Fasting, yay! Okay. I'm not going to talk about fasting much today. That's good news. Otherwise, you might all rush for the door. Go and turn off the roast beef. Chapter 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Amen. Well, do you know what? I think it was an amen in the back there, wasn't there? Well, amen. Excellent. You know, as I was pondering this, you know, we've been looking at maturity through the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, digs really quite deep. And, and I thought, you know, the Sermon on the Mount really looks at or gives us all sorts of indicators of maturity. Um, and, and you know what? Presumably, the state of our prayer life is another one, another indicator of maturity. Surely, the state of our, if our prayer life is healthy, that implies that our relationship with the Lord is healthy. So the question this morning to start off with is, how's your prayer life? How healthy is it? Imagine that might leave the odd person squirming, possibly in their seats. I think I might be in mine. Thinking, Jamie, that's a bit of a mean question. I'm convinced, you know, that if I was to ask that question, I'm convinced that most people, if not everyone, would say pretty much the same thing. I wish it was better. It could be better. I'm convicted that it should be better. And I wish, I wish that I prayed more. I wish that prayer for me was just easier. And I certainly wish that my prayer was more 
successful. And I took my, with that in mind, I took myself down an interesting sort of line of thought. Um, and it seems to be a reasonable conclusion that if your relationship with the Lord is healthy and strong, then your prayer life will be consistently dynamic and fulfilling. However, the Sermon on the Mount is about the blessed life. It's about the Spirit-filled life. It's about the Spirit-led life. But it's not about the easy life. You know, sometimes the Christian life will not be easy, will not be smooth, and will not be comfortable. I don't think that's a shock revelation to you this morning. You know, there will be times, the Beatitudes make this clear, there will be times when you're feeling empty, when you're hungry and thirsty. There will be times when you're in mourning. There will be times when you're being opposed. There will even be times when you're being persecuted. You won't always feel, as it were, as though you're floating on some spiritual high. So I think the implication as I read this passage, actually that's not necessarily quite as bad as we might have imagined. And in times like this, it's fair to say that prayer might feel like work. It might be tougher, it might be drier, it might be hard going. This kind of sends the charismatic in me a little bit jittery really. You know, what if I don't feel God? But actually, isn't, isn't this maturity? Isn't, isn't there an upside-down component in all of this? Surely walking by faith necessitates stepping into the unknown, crying out in the darkness, riding out the storm. Whoever said that it was going to be easy? Not the psalmist, certainly not Job, not Paul, and read the things that he had to experience. Not Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think this is going to apply to our prayer lives too. So, be encouraged. I think everybody probably feels like you much of the time in this area, and that is inadequate. In my mind, I, I thought I was preparing to preach on Matthew 6.33 this week. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. And I was frankly pumped up about that. That's next week. Fits in with what I've been reading recently. And then it occurred to me that I was a week ahead of myself and actually I had to preach on this passage again. You know, wonderful though this passage is, I've preached on it many times. You've probably heard preaching from it many times. And then I slapped myself out of my bad attitude pretty quickly when I realized, you know what, quite strongly, we're all in this every day. We're all called to pray. We know instinctively how crucial this is, both in our personal lives and in our corporate lives. Therefore, shouldn't we touch on this subject with some degree of frequency at least? So all that kind of prep thinking led me to my mandate for this morning. What I want to do is I just want to share some thoughts about prayer for you. not going to be rocket science. 
taken straight out of this passage. And the aim being to spur you on. The aim being to point you in the right direction. In the hopes that tomorrow morning you'll wake up five minutes earlier to pray with a pep in your step. That's the aim. The aim is to breathe some fire, if you like, into your prayer life. So, turning our attention to Matthew chapter 6. Obviously, Jesus covers a great deal here. We're going to look essentially, just briefly, at three questions. The first question is when. second question is where. And the third question is how. That shouldn't take long, should it? Let's look at the first one. The first question, when. And if you read here, and you look at verse 5, and then you look down again at verse 7, and you look again then at verse 16, it says, when you pray, it doesn't say if you pray. It's when, not if. In other words, it's taken for granted that prayer is a significant part of the Spirit-filled life, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It also says in verse 16, and when you fast. Again, the implication not being when, but if. My brother's church, Gateway Christian Centre, just started the year with a 21-day Daniel fast. And 100 people, apparently, plus, have been engaged in that. Not sure I'm ready to stretch you in that direction yet. Maybe one day. That would be good, wouldn't it? So, if the question is when, when do you pray? Jesus' answer in this passage, at least, is that there will be certain set times when you lock yourself away, when you set yourself aside to pray. And there's an implication from, from that, that there will certainly be a side at least to your prayer life that must be intentional, that must be planned, and must be regular. Now that doesn't in any way detract from another set of messages that we read in the Bible, that is, that there will be, um, we need to have a continuous attitude towards prayer. The prayer many times will be spontaneous. It will be spur of the moment. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. Different versions say, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Never stop. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now I think it's really important there's a key balance that we must maintain. And the balance is between these, these shut away regular times of prayer on the one hand and the spontaneous, spirit-led, seize-the-moment prayers on the other. And if our, if our prayer is only ever routine, it can become a little dry and repetitive. If it's only spontaneous, then the danger is that it kind of fizzles out to nothing. You know, if, if we lack that discipline, if we, if we lack purpose in our prayer, if, like me, you have maybe a tiny bit of procrastinator in there. But operating in a healthy balance of both of these, I believe, will lead to a fulfilling and a fresh and a fruitful prayer life. So, leaning specifically into what Jesus is addressing here, the question becomes, do you have regular 
times of prayer? Do you have regular set-aside time? Or, or is prayer for you kind of an optional extra? Is it, is it a, perhaps hit and miss? Is it just your crisis plan? Or is it for you a priority, something that you have deliberately worked into your schedule? Good question. Now, one of the keys to the spirit-filled life is good seed sowing. Amen. You know, the principle, we read it last week, we read it lots of weeks, is that if we sow seed to the flesh, then guess what? We will reap harvest to the flesh. If we reap to the spirit, then we will reap a spiritual, supernatural harvest. It's simple principle. And that sowing and reaping principle is very, very strong. It holds the universe together. We read in Galatians 6, um, verses 7 onwards. We looked at it last week. Didn't look at this bit at the beginning. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. A favorite line of mine is this. If you know the seed you've planted, then you know the harvest you're going to get. Why? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. It's a spiritual principle. The whole force of heaven is behind holding that up. If you know the seed you've planted, then you know the harvest you're going to get. So putting that into the context of our prayer life, there is a great peace and confidence in knowing that you've covered that meeting in prayer. There's a great peace and confidence in knowing that you've saturated that conversation that you've claimed that promise, that you've repented of that sin, that you've asked for that wisdom. If you know the seed that you've planted, then you know the harvest that you're going to get. So Matthew 6, 6 says, When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. You know, that's a really, really good thing to do. Preparing the way. Sowing the seed. Claiming the promises. Refocusing your mind. Inviting God into, well, everything, really. For me, I have regular time set aside. I walk my dogs every morning, pretty much, at the crack of dawn. Me and the girls on the leads. 25, 30 minutes. Fantastic way to start the day an immovable stake in my life. I'm so grateful for it. I think the most significant prayer times that I have, I try to take on top of that, I try to take three prayer walks each week. The routine is different, has differed a little bit as my lifestyle has changed. You know, but I love those prayer walks. That's how I do it. That's what I do. So swinging that back round, you know, for you, you know, when is it that you set time aside to pray? It may be first thing in the morning, maybe last thing at night. Maybe in the lunch hour, it may be when you walk the dogs, it may be in your car commute. But the point that Jesus is making here, I think, is there must be regular set-aside time to pray. You know, you've heard this one before. They say on your deathbed, that you're never, ever going to hear anybody say, oh, rat, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. Right? 
Well, I think when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no regrets about the time that you spent in prayer. So when? Regular, set-aside times. The next question is where? And of course, in this passage, pressing into the idea of, of praying in private. And there are two sides to this um, points that Jesus is trying to make. The first one is a key message in this whole passage. Actually, if you read verses 1 through 4, it's about giving. Again, the same kind of message here, which is that this must be all about God's glory and not yours. This is all about gaining God's attention, not gaining man's attention. As I said, Jesus puts that principle into the context of giving, into the context of praying, and later on into the context of fasting. Don't stand on the street corners with your wonderful words and your long prayers, trying to get the attention of man, because their reward will be the only reward you get. So the question for us becomes, are we going to live for man's reward or for God's? I'd like you to note here, actually in verse 6, it says that there is a reward for praying. You say what that is. It says that there is a reward for fasting. doesn't specify what, there is, what that is. But, but the, the point that Jesus makes is if, if you do it to impress man, then his impressness will be your reward. Same with giving and the same with fasting. But as we see running through the whole of this Sermon on the Mount, we are invited to step from natural into spiritual, from worldly to heavenly, from mundane to supernatural. The line I read this week goes like this, who knows what you can accomplish when you're willing to let God work for you behind the scenes? Same principle as last week. Last week was the context of taking revenge, context of forgiving, context of loving your enemy. Same with prayer. Don't do it your fleshly way and limit yourself to what you can do. So in prayer, don't be hypocritical like the Pharisees. Don't do it just to impress people. Don't only pray when people are looking. What Jesus is saying is there is a new focus, is that your prayer life should be before God, before God alone, in his presence, for his glory, praying into the manifestation of his will, praying for the extension of his kingdom, because God sees, because God knows, and because God rewards. And that we can step over into the supernatural. We actually can step over into a whole new level of kingdom power and authority. A couple of verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Such a powerful Verse. First of all, faith is the key. We're talking about faith realm. We're actually talking about a whole different way of doing things. Kingdom, worldly. Faith, sight, spirit, flesh. 
He says, if we diligently seek him, he's a rewarder. God is a rewarder. Think about that in the context of prayer. God is a rewarder. God is a rewarder by nature. God is a rewarder by intent. This is what, he, this is what God does. This is what God longs to do as we pray. And the third point, just draw it out of that verse, is that we have an invitation to come. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of those that diligently seek him. Hebrews 4 verse 16, again a verse I quote often. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What an invitation, what a lavish invitation. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. It's an R.T. Kendall quote. You, you have a personal invitation from Jesus himself to have private, quality time with your creator, with your redeemer, with your heavenly father. And this verse, it says that we can come boldly. It says when we're there, we can find grace. How badly do we need that? We can receive grace. Mercy, when we pray, we receive. And we can enter into his presence. His presence is such a precious place. I'm convinced that when I get to heaven, my one regret will be how little of this earthly time, 24 times, 7 times, 365 times, I don't know, 95, how little of that time I will have spent in God's presence. When I get to heaven... I'm going to spend all of my time in God's presence. And that's a good thing. We have this invitation here to close the door, to shut out the world, and to seek God's presence. And God's presence is a treasure trove containing all the things that you need. In this passage, it's receiving mercy. It's finding grace. But comfort and strength are to be found in his presence. Wisdom, revelation, be found in his presence. Love and power, those things we desperately need, are to be found in one place, and that is in his presence. Which kind of leads me to the second side of this discussion. The first side is, is do it for God's glory, not man's. For God's reward, not man's. For God's attention, not man's. The second side, and again, Jesus makes it pretty clear, is that we should all have a special place. We should all have a sanctified place place, as it were. The King James says, when thou prayest, enter into thine closet. And you've probably heard stories about people shutting themselves in the cupboard and expecting to feel the goosebumps. And that's, but, but there's a principle, and we call it the prayer closet. Question is, where do you go to pray? Where's that special place? Mine? Well, mine's varied. I've had lots of them over the years. Right now, it's Oversley Wood. A bit muddy. Lovely loop, 45 minutes, an hour and a half double loop if I'm feeling really holy and my to-do list isn't too long. And I can think back historically of the various different places that I've gone to pray and it's just been me and God. That's the special place. Something about that place that just enables me to pray. Something about that place where the prayer just flows. I'm no good at praying sitting down. I'm no good at praying in the office. I have to be walking. I have to be out and about. Walking is great for me. Think about the Arboretum behind the McDonald's in Collingwood, Ontario. Coffee, McDonald's, <laughs> praying Arboretum. 
think about the Trent University trails in Peterborough and walking in the snow around those trails and people asking whether they've, you've seen the bear. That'll make you pray pretty quick. <laughs> when I lived in, in Chesham Boys, there are these amazing beech woods that I'd walk around where I first met Muntjac deer. I used to go to Ivinghoe Beacon, wonderful place, and walk there. When I was a student, I used to walk around the rugby fields, not when they were playing, I hasten to add. I've always had some kind of special place set aside, and for me, I've just found that so enormously helpful. It's what the message translation says. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place. Just be there as simply as honest and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God. And you will begin to sense his grace. Sense his grace, his presence, his peace, his inspiration, his empowerment. All those things that we can find when we're with God. For me personally, it tends to take me a while to get to that place. I get there quicker in my prayer closet. It takes me a while to get to the point where I'm still and I'm uncluttered and I'm, un and I'm focused. You know, sometimes I finish my dog walk and think, well, Lord, I've been hopeless, really, because my mind's gone in all sorts of directions and I haven't done any praying. That was pretty useless. But there's something about these prayer walks where I seem to be able to press beyond that. And I find that after a certain length of time, Prayer starts to become easier. It starts to flow, as it were. I get into the zone. I'm able to go deeper. I'm able to pray with more fervor. And I'm able to hear, perhaps most importantly of all, I'm able to hear from God more clearly. So there's a when, and then there's a where, and then there's how. So we arrive at the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray like this. How simple can that be? The irony is, of course, that Jesus says in the verse before, don't pray by vain repetition. What's been the most blindly repeated prayer in human history? The Lord's Prayer. But joking aside, there is there's great, tremendous value in the patterns that he teaches here. Actually, there are five verses here. They're genius. And I think Jesus' prayer includes so much that we'd love to echo and so much that we need to echo. Starts off, may your name be holy, honoured, esteemed in our world. Don't we long for that? May your kingdom come. New Living Translation says, may your kingdom come soon. Is that a prayer? May your kingdom come right here, right now. Real, tangible, powerful, transformational, revolutionary. We, have to, we get to pray that. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Again, how badly do we need that? How badly do we need that perfect heavenly will rather than the corrupt, flawed, failing earthly will? What we need is more heaven, less earth. We need more of his ways, less of ours. We need more of God's ideas and less of our stumbling around. 
so we pray over and over again, God, your will. Your will be done in my life. Your will be done in my circumstances. Your will be done in my relationships. Your will be done in my workplace. Your will be done in my church. Your will be done in my community. Then he goes on to say, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Please provide us, Lord, what we need, physical and spiritual. We recognize that you are our source and you are our supply. Father, forgive us our sins. Lord, keep our hearts repentant. Keep our hearts humble. Keep our hearts open. And Lord, would you help us to resist temptation? Help us to discern good from evil. Help us to walk like Jesus. And in doing so, rescue us from the evil one. That's the Lord's Prayer in two minutes. You know, you've heard lots of sermons on this. I know I have. But the significance of the direction that Jesus speaks into the way we pray in this passage must never grow old. Okay, let's wrap up. James 5 verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I said part of my mandate today was to encourage you, to point you in the right direction, to spur you on. And I'd say this, never underestimate the value of prayer. You know, I'm really glad that Jesus included the healthy section on prayer in the greatest sermon he ever preached. Never underestimate the power of prayer to change our world. Never underestimate the power of prayer to change us. It's ability to keep things in perspective. It's its ability to keep us on our knees. It's ability to keep God's will right in the center of our lives. You know, and, and like everything else on our Christian journey, our prayer life is going to be something that we're going to have to cultivate. Something we're going to have to work on. Something that hopefully in time we will grow in. Which leads again to those questions, when do we pray? Where do we pray? And how do we pray? And all of those, I think, are good questions. I'd like to invite you to take those before the Lord today. What I wanted to do today, really, was to lift some of the discouragement. As I said, I'm pretty sure that if we were to take a straw poll, pretty much everyone would say, yeah, if I'm honest, I feel a little inadequate, I feel a little bit discouraged. Hope you're not. Hope your prayer life is bubbling and effervescent, but I suspect for many, it can be flat and dry quite often. And I hope today, with these ideas, I've been able to lift a little bit of that discouragement and to inspire you to press in. Because this, as we know, is a key part of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And before we look at the challenge and responses, one fun line that I saw this week. Don't worry about asking God for small things. With God, all things are small. That's deep. Okay, so, how are we going to respond to all that? Well, two things. First of all, I'd like to issue you a personal challenge. There's also a specific group of people that I'd like to highlight and pray for today. 
start with the personal challenges. As we read Matthew 6, again, 1 through 18, I'd like to suggest that you do these three things. Number one, I'd like to suggest that you invite God into your prayer life afresh today. And say something like this, Holy Spirit, would you encourage me? Holy Spirit, would you breathe life into my prayer times? Holy Spirit, would you lead me clearly as I pray? So this is a significant part of our Christian lives. We spend a lot of time in prayer, thinking about prayer, wishing we were praying more. But ultimately, as with everything else, Eva's word this morning about getting deeper in, letting God deeper in. I'd say today as we spend a bit of time reflecting, say, God, I let you in again. Come and stir my heart. Come and give me fresh ideas. Come and breathe your breath on my prayer life. That's number one. Number two, very simple. Encourage you to choose a regular time. It may just be one special hour that you set aside once a week. Maybe as simple as that. It, it may be a 15-minute slot here and there, but you know we need to have some kind of regular time to pray. If your prayer life has gone stale, why not change that time? Wow, we're not afraid of change, are we, folks? No, we don't, we're not bogged down by habit and routine, are we? No, why not change it? If you haven't got one, why not start to implement one? And again, invite God to fill that time. So number two, choose a regular time. And then number three, choose a special place. A special place that you set aside for you and God. A place where you know you're there to do business. A place where you're quick to open up and to press into his presence. Regular time and a special place. That's the challenge for you personally. Then I just want to shout out today for one group of people. In this room, you may or may not know who they are. There are people who pray on their own, in private, with nobody looking for countless hours. These are people that are specifically called and gifted to pray. In the church world, we might call them the intercessors, perhaps. And I, what I wanted to say, really, is these people are seldom recognized and they're seldom honored. And in part, that, that's quite right. I mean, part of the point of this message is that we don't do these things for man's reward. We don't do these things for public recognition. That's not why these people pray for hours and hours. That's just not their motivation at all. They do it because it's a calling. They do it because it's a gifting. It's a passion. For them, it's a labor of love. For them, it's not always easy. It does take discipline like it does for the rest of us. And for them, it may mean sleepless nights. And those people in this room, you know who you are. I want to go on record today in saying that your ministry is critical. It's understated and it's undervalued, but it's greatly appreciated for the multitudes for whom you stand in the gap, for the souls for whom you plead over and over, 
for the revival that you're helping to birth and prepare. You know, there are certain groups within a church that do operate behind the scenes. I mean, you see the worship team. There are all sorts of places where people are public in their service. But there are three areas I think we don't see. First of all is the intercessors. Secondly is the givers. I mean, it's great, isn't it? It's a biblical principle. We don't want to see what everyone else is giving. But I know that there are people who are giving sacrificially, they're giving extensively. Their accountant thinks they're crazy. But we couldn't do what we do if you hadn't responded to God's call to give. And we want to honor you. We want to pray into that. And the third type, so intercessors, givers, and the third one is evangelists. You know, again, this, you know, we've all have a, a call to pray, to give, and to evangelize, but I'm talking about a special group of people who've got that gifting, that calling for it, the sort of person who opens up conversations easily, sort of person for whom people don't know Jesus seem to flock to and conversations just kind of start spontaneously. Again, those people are mission critical, all three. And I just wanted to honor them this morning. In all three of those groups, you know who they are. And what I'd like us to do today is, is to pray for the intercessors. And, and, and so we're going to do something like this. I'm going to close in prayer in just a second. I'm going to invite Mark to come up. And we'll set up, I think, two specific areas. If you'd like a general ministry call, three areas. Four, no, three. Three's too, too many. Over here, um, if you'd like prayer for anything, God's just tweaked your heart today. If you've got a big decision coming up or a sickness issue or something, we'd love for you to have prayer before you go today. Come over here. Another call for that group, if you've never invited Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, it's where all of that begins. I'd like to invite you to come speak to someone today and let them pray you through that step. Don't leave this place without your eternal destiny secure. Wonderful to open the door and let Jesus in. That may be for some of you today. So that's over there. If you want to respond to my personal challenges, then I, I'd invite you to come over to this side here. You know, invite God in to breathe new breath into your prayer life, whether you feel it's dry right now or actually it's just bubbling over and you want to press in. If you want to invite God in, if, if you want to find some regular time, some special place, and you want to pray a prayer of consecration, say, God, I'm going to go for it. And if you want to come over to this side over here, to your left and my right, you can do business with God on your own, and no one will pray for you. It's your time. And then the third one is, if you have that personal call to prayer, if you would consider yourself to be an intercessor, I'm not trying to draw attention to you, but I would like to pray blessing and anointing and, and recommission you, as it were, today for what you do. So if that's you, I'd like you to come to the middle here and I'm going to pray for you. Is that okay? Brilliant. Where's Mark? Go, let's pray. Father, we know that prayer is just an awesome privilege. That we have this personal invitation. You are not a God who is far off, distant, and disinterested. Jesus said, you know what we need even before we ask it. And yet you call us to ask because for you, it's all relational. 
You're always drawing us to you. And pretty much if, if our prayer life is flesh and it's hard work and it's graft, it will be unfruitful. But if we're listening to you, we're responding to you, we're seeking you out, if we're letting you in, then there's no reason why our prayer life can't be dynamic, even when we're in the middle of a storm, even more so perhaps when we're in the middle of a storm. So Lord, we just want to invite you in, every single one today, to breathe new breath into our prayer lives. Lord, if there's anything we need to adjust or change or anything new we need to stick in or anything old we need to take out, Lord, would you just show us this morning? Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and our ears and we say, would you just whisper that one thing, that one thing that we need to know, one thing we need to do. So Father, we give you the next 10 minutes. And we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? We invite your presence. And Lord, as we pray and we minister and we respond, we just pray, Lord, as always, your kingdom to come right here, right now real tangible ways. And Lord, every time we pray, we pray, your will be done. Your will be done here on earth as it is ordained in heaven. Thank you, Lord. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.